At the age of 26, my business was half a million dollars in debt. As an entrepreneur, you get pushed around. The question I faced was, how would I crawl out from underneath the debt and grow my business? The exciting part is, I have a multi-million dollar business now. But the truth is, there is no perfect entrepreneur. Join me and follow along as I share with you the mindset and business strategies needed to grow any company. My name is Oliver Fernandez. Welcome to the Imperfect Entrepreneur. Oliver, welcome to Construction Genius. Hey, appreciate it, Eric. And I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Um, I, I love talking about construction. I grew up in construction. When I was, you know, ever since I could remember, my I, my dad had owned a construction company and my, my mom worked inside the construction company as well. So they both were like entrepreneurs. And I've always been around construction. So when I wanted to start my own construction business, it wasn't like something that was like foreign um, it was something that I was a little scared of because when my parents had their construction business, they had made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, went out of business, made a lot of money again in construction. And then it was like lost a lot of money. So there was always this roller coaster ride. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do when I started my construction business was I didn't want to go through that roller coaster ride for a couple of reasons. Number one, it broke up our family. Like when the first roller coaster ride, uh, when they made a lot of money and lost a lot of money, like, I moved with my mom and my three sisters to Maine. My dad stayed back and um, to try to pick up the pieces and, and try to re regrow his business. That hurt because then all of a sudden the, the family was broken. And now all of a sudden I was living in Maine, which is like, you know, rural country coming from, you know, Boston. And then my mom was a city girl. So she never really didn't really understand, you know, living in Maine full time. Like going to Maine on vacation was one thing, but living in Maine full time was, was something that was totally out of this world. And uh, now we were living there full time and it was just a struggle. I mean, there would be power outages that we, she wasn't, she was a teacher. So she wasn't making that much money. And it was just, it was just, it just seemed like life was so hard, you know, and life, it was always like the struggle. And it was, it was weird too, because I, I knew what, like, what was possible in this world because I did see my parents as, as when they were successful. So like having to go back to like really just living paycheck to paycheck and, trying to figure all those things out with my mom, um, what was like, was very difficult. So like one of my goals, like coming out of high school and graduating from college was like, I wanted to take care of my mom and three sisters. And that was one of the major reasons for me, uh, starting the construction business. And we started the construction business and the eyes are wide open. Like, yeah, I'm going to be successful in construction. And then you really get hit in the hit with the real world that like it's this is it this is there's a lot of challenges there there's a lot of ups and downs um my my first entrance into construction out of graduating college was i was working for scansco it's a big general contractor i was working for them for like three months and i ended up getting laid off uh so they they gave up on me but i didn't give up on me uh so i just kept sharpening my skills you know and, and i started the business and we we're doing really small jobs in the beginning like you know $2,000 jobs, $30,000 jobs. It was the start in, of the, of the business. And, you know, now we're doing one to $5 million projects. Uh, we, we completed $20 million worth of business last year and we're on track to do $40 million worth of business this year. Okay. So let me, let's just 
go back to the beginning because there's a there's a lot going on there. Give me your earliest recollection as a as a child of your parents in the construction business. What were, what are the first impressions that you had of that? So you know, my dad was in, in the civil game, so that was always like you know the excavators, the dump trucks, the uh, the bulldozers, and so like from a kid's perspective, I was like, oh my god, like my my parents are like awesome, you know, like these are real life like bulldozers and real life excavators, and I could go sit in them, and he'd bring me in them, and like it was just it just seemed like it was I was living in a fantasy world, you know, it was awesome, you know, I was like, super excited about all that. Um, but at the same time, there's there's that component of operations of construction. There's the component of financial management of construction. And, you know, when you're a kid, two, two, three, four, five years old, you don't really understand all that stuff. And that's where, you know, that he he struggled it. And that's where there was some failures and there's some some things that needed improvement. And, and, it, and it cost him the business in the beginning. So. As as you were going through that, obviously, how old were you when when your parents when the the business um, when it went out of bit did it go out of business or yeah it went out of business and it was uh, I was five years old so I was just going into first grade and I remember because we, we I went into first grade and when I went to move to Maine so first grade five years old. Okay. So first grade. So, so there's like some memories, but, but, but it's again, you're not like a 13, 14, 15 year old. Well, let me ask you this then. What is it about the experience that your parents had with their business that is now motivating you as you've started your business? What are you determined to replicate? What are you determined not to do? <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what, like I would like, it almost gave me like this weird, like perfectionism, like persona, you know? Um, and you like, which is not always a good thing, right? Cause like, if you want perfection, like you're never going to get it. So like, you're never going to start. And it, like the perfectionism came from like not wanting to ever have to put my family through the pain that we all went through. When we started off the business, you know, things were the first job we, we really did uh, as a, a subcontractor that I was running. It was a $30,000 job and the job ended up costing me 60 grand. <laughs> <laughs> what and kind of a sub? What kind of a sub are you, were you at that point? I was I was a civil sub. Right. So we were installing like underground pipe. Um, and then this case, oh, wow. it was a box culvert we were installing. It was in Massachusetts. We were doing it on a golf course. So it's funny that you're talking about a golf course. We were doing it on a golf course. And there was two locations. We were just installing a, a underground box culvert. And that job like took my took my heart. You know, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I lost $30,000 on a $30,000 job because it cost me sixty <laughs> grand. And it's like. At that point, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to do what my dad did to my family. I was like, I want to make money. Like, I at that up to that point, I had never lost money in something, you know. But at the same time, like, I watched how that that GC communicated with me because my price really was sixty grand when I first bid that job. But it, you know, like the way he communicated with me, the way he he like ran the job and the way he executed and he and he the way he communicated. With, with his with the owner because he was the GC and I, I I took all of those learnings and I'm so glad I didn't give up in that moment because I took those learnings to now go and complete over a hundred million dollars worth of projects in the last 10 years um, and so I, I ran on the exact same way 
So let, let yeah, let's go back then. So so you bid a project for thirty grand, but you should have bid it for sixty. Right. So the job was 30, 30 grand. It cost me sixty grand, but my first price that I initially submitted was sixty grand. But oh, I, did the I, GC I, talk I, you out of sixty grand or something? Did he? Sorry. Did did the GC get you to cut your price? Yeah, he like he simplified the job and tried, you know, and I, and I wasn't confident in my numbers at the time. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I can, do, which I should have never, ever done, you know, and those are the, all the learning experiences that, you know, you, you grow on. That first job then where you lose 30 grand um, and then you're, you're observing the way the GC is interacting with the owner, the way that GC is interacting with you as a sub. What did you take away specifically from that, that you then applied to the next project and the next project that helped you to become more successful? So it was the way they set up the job. You know, they, they were they were really organized, you know, and, and the way they, they, they communicated with, with the owner, you know, like until you've actually seen someone communicate with the owner, like you don't really know what to say, what not to say, things that are going to fly, things that are not going to fly. So Getting that experience, yes, it cost me a lot, you know, but at the same time, it was eye-opening because my dad had only, when I, well, the stuff that I always saw him do, he was the subcontractor. So he was always talking with another contractor. He was never talking to the owner and communicating with the person that had the purse strings that were paying for, was paying for everything. So let me ask you this then, um, because you're, you know, you started off as a sub and you're a GC now, correct? Correct. What did you learn about communicating with an owner as a sub. What are some of the key things that that our listeners who are subs can 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 lay hold of in terms of communicating with owners? Well, one thing that I really liked about um, you know work, working directly with the owner is you touch the money first. That was one of the things that drove me crazy. Is like we were doing such we did great work, everything was executed properly, and then when it came time to get paid, it was like all these excuses and reasons why you know, we weren't going to get paid the full amount or additional paperwork that was never discussed now needed to be submitted. One of the things is you touch the money first. Uh, number two is the owner cares about the finished product. They don't want to hear all of the bad things that are happening on the project. So it's like, they want the sausage. They don't want to understand how the sausage is made. You know, they don't want to see all the blood. They don't want to see all the guts. They just want the sausage. Even with my team now, I explain that to them. Like, they don't want to hear about the subcontractor not showing up, the paint supply house not having the paint, the mechanical unit being delivered late or, you know, or not, not being delivered correctly. Like, what is the solution and how are we going to get this thing to the finish line? Because at the end of the day, that's all they care about. They just want the sausage. They don't want to know how it's made and all of the stuff that... That's what they're paying us to do. That would be the, the second uh, most important thing. Uh, if I was a sub thinking what the owner, how you want to communicate with the owner. So how do you maintain your relationship with the GC if you're going to be aggressive in developing a relationship with the owner? Because isn't the GC going to say, you know, stop talking to the owner. You need to talk to me. Correct. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're a subcontractor, you need to respect that, right? We have a part of the business that does do subcontracts. So we have to respect the relationship between the owner and the GC and, and you got to flow all that information up through them. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cross those, those boundaries, but at the same time, it is important to understand how to communicate with the owner because if you're not getting paid as the subcontractor, you need to be able to communicate that to someone, um, especially after you've already worked, tried to work it out with the GC and, and you can't get anywhere with them. Okay. So, so how long were you exclusively a sub? 
as, as, as you know, a civil sub? So I was a civil sub from 2008 to 2013, so five years. Okay, so you started right in the middle of the downturn. Yes. Yep. That's a perfect time to start. That's awesome. <laughs> so you could see that's funny though because you could say man i've been through a downturn so it's not like you know someone who started their business in in let's say 2013 and everything's been awesome for the last 10 years you know yeah no it was definitely a grind like you know getting getting projects and now i just have a better algorithm for how all that stuff works and how the things you need to do in the beginning i you know i had all the, the the trash that i had to still work through i was i was scared to make cold calls i was scared to go to the the, the vendor outreach meetings. I was scared to do all of those things, but I had to work through and, and, and build up the confidence um, in myself to be able to make a cold call, to be able to... Oh, let's, let's talk about that. How did you build your confidence to make cold calls? You know, we had that job that we lost 30 grand on and, you know, it was the, the pressure of like, like almost being at the end of the runway, like, you know, like the credit cards are starting to get maxed out, you know, it's like, and I didn't want to be a failure. Remember I was trying to, I was talking about that earlier. I, I didn't want to be another statistic. I didn't want to do what my, my dad did. And I wanted to, I wanted to be successful. So I started, how do I be successful? I got to start getting in front of the people that are going to give me, give me these type of projects or want to work with me on these projects. So it's like, I got to start making the phone calls and then you start making the phone calls and then you're like, Oh, what do I say? I did. I created my script. And then I would be like, Oh, I don't want to say that. And I took that out of the script. And then I, I was like, Oh, that really worked this time. So I kept that in the script. And I, tell me about that script. Tell me about that script. Uh, if you can remember, if you can remember, yeah, I know I it's a while. Like, hey, this is Oliver with McKinsey Construction. We're a general construction company that specializes in HVAC and civil construction. Do you ever offer the uh, ability for companies like myself to come in and, and do a capabilities briefing? And it was just, I, I said that so many times that it's like still ingrained in me to this day. I've been saying that since 2013. And it was just like, Getting, how can I get in front of these people? Because like once I got in front of them, at the time I also had a partner, right? And and this partner, he had a, he had been a GC for thirty years. I was this young kid, and he he I remember meeting him um, in the in the airport when we first started like making our joint venture. And um, he's like, hey kid, you know I'm a GC. I I've been doing this for thirty years. I have all my contacts, like. I'm not going to give you any of them, but if you find some new projects or new contacts, I'll help you execute on. And that was like all I needed to hear. Cause like I then I would then make those phone calls and I would get in front of these people and then I would bring him with me and I'd be like, and I would, I would just shut up and just let him do like most of the talking. We got our first job and then I was like, okay, now I understand my role in all of this. And I played that role really well, but at the same time I paid attention to the things he was saying. I paid attention to how we was running the jobs because I wanted to I wanted to be have also have those capabilities. That's interesting because I was going to ask you about how as a young guy you you got a um, a toehold when you didn't have any experience yourself. So what you did at the beginning then is you partnered up with a guy who had a little more experience and kind of th that helped you to get get some some work uh, secured. Oh, 100%. That's how you compress decades in the years, right? Is, there you go. Is you, there you is go. You, is you partner with people, and he had something that that I didn't have, and it was it was experience, but I also had something that he hadn't ever seen before, and that was the tenacity to make the phone calls, the tenacity to get out into the marketplace, the tenacity to get in front of people and and get the opportunities. We could just apply his expertise to it, and, and now all of a sudden it was a it was a great partnership.
Yeah, it's a trip, man, because, you know, I know we're in totally different industries. I'm a consultant. You're a, a con contractor. But when I started my business, I'd gotten fired from this company on the Friday. I started my business on a Monday. At the time, I had, you know, a wife and four kids at home. And so, you know what I did, man? I got out there and I started cold calling. <laughs> I did exactly what you did because I was afraid of failure and I didn't want my uh, my credit card bills getting racked up either. 100%. And then like that that motivated me. That, that really inspired me. I mean, I wanted to take care of my mom and three sisters. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm creating more debt than being positive. So it was definitely something that motivated me. How long were you working in a, in a, in that partnership or that joint venture? Did, was that like a formal business partnership or was it just you guys were JVing stuff together? How did that work? Yeah. So we would, uh, it wasn't that we had no signed documents or anything, but like, it was just something that like we, we shook hands and was like, Hey, we're going to be 50, 50 partners in doing this. And you know, we went after the contracts and we executed on them together. Um, and that was, it was, a, it was, we had a, we had a great partnership. You know, we, he, he showed me how to project manage. He showed me how to how to speak to the owners, how to communicate, and really, you know, even talk to subcontractors and hold them accountable and the business accountable to, um, you know, all all the owner. And you know, so there was a lot of good things there. At the same time, there there were some broken beliefs there, right? And some of those broken beliefs were because there was there's so much risk in construction. The thought process was always to like con control all the decisions and. If you're controlling all the decisions, you're going to you're going to limit the size that you are. What I learned over time was that like once we hit 10 million dollars and 12 million dollars and then fell back down to 6, that was that I wasn't going to be able to do everything on my own. I, and if we really wanted to be the 100 million dollar company that I wanted this company to be, I was going to have to allow other team members to make decisions, but also make sure that they were making decisions off of decision matrix. And 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 now that's that's what that's the single thing that's like really helped grow the company and expand the company and, and, and get the company moving in the direction that I wanted. I've always dreamed of it moving. It was allowing other team members to make decisions, allowing team members to execute on behalf of the company, but also stay in alignment with the company. Right. And that's all done through leadership and and, and, and knowing how to keep them aligned in the business and. And, and, and helps grow and scale the business together. Okay, so let's let's explore that because it sounded like right from the beginning, you you got one thing down that people struggle with and that's the sales part, the front end sales. You partnered up with someone with some experience so that you could learn the project management side. As you grow the business, you came across an issue that every con contractor comes across and that's finding the right people to put in the right position so that you can achieve your goals. Tell us some of the, um, the successes and the failures that you experienced in hiring and on recruiting and hiring people as you've um, grown over the years. Oh, man. there's been so many. Uh, I remember the, the first, so we do, we do government projects, right? So you got to have like certain qualifications to be the superintendent and the site safety office, health officer and the quality control manager. So I remember the first job that we, we hit that was like of substantial size, a couple million bucks was like $2.6 million down in Albany, Georgia. And this job was to replace overhead. Coal. And was this as a GC? Was it a GC this when you were a GC? GC. Yeah. And this okay, was cool. a job to replace over like roll up coiling, uh, coiling like overhead doors. And there was like 289 of them that we had to replace. Well, this job was like, like, hey, we had a start date. It was like. Can I, can I just stop you real quick, Oliver? How did you go from underground to replacing doors? So when, well, how, we, how, when how, we transitioned yeah. to being the prime contractor, to be working directly for the owner, 
you can't just say, hey, I'm an underground contractor. Well, I, you, I guess you can say that, but you're, you're, you're limiting yourself to like this many projects, right? Whereas now when you're a GC, you, you, you say you, can, you, you do everything, right? And you, you hire the civil guy, you hire the HVAC guy, you hire the, the, the overhead door installing contractor. That was also a huge shift in my thought process. I was like, yeah, I'm a civil guy, but like you just narrow yourself down, especially when you're working with the owner. Because the owner doesn't care about just the civil. They care about their project being complete. And they want A to Z being done. They, you know, they don't care how it gets done. They just want it done. And they're, they're willing to pay you to execute on, on and getting it done. And let me just ask. So so when, when you shifted from being a sub to being a GC, you picked um, government projects as, as a niche? Correct. And, and, and are you talking about specific government agencies or specific project types? How did you go through that process? So there were specific project types, meaning like, Projects that were like, I wanted to do basically one to $5 million jobs. And, and the, you know, the, occasionally when you're marketing for one to $5 million jobs, you catch a, a trout that's like 400 grand. We still did those. We weren't going to turn those away. But, it, you know, our goal was to do one to $5 million jobs. Okay, excellent. All right. So then, um, so you land this, you land this one project where you got the overhead doors and, and you, you need to bring people on board to handle that, I'm assuming. Tell us about that process. Yeah. And I, I mean... I had never really even hired people up until this point. And I was like, you know, there was death. There was and what year, what year are we at? Oliver? This was 2013. Okay, cool. Okay, 2013, just starting off to be a GC. I, I literally spent a year calling, con, you know, the owners and, and, and people that could issue contracts into the, to, from the government. And I finally get my, 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 uh, my second contract. And it's like the biggest contract that we've ever gotten to date. And, we we're on the job where the job is supposed to start and we don't have the superintendent and the quality control manager and, and the site safety and health officer. And I'm like stressing out. Like, I'm like, what, what's going on? Like, I thought my, uh, honestly, I thought my partner was going to be able to help more on that side. What I did is I literally went to the internet and I started like looking up all these like, like crazy sites or, and there was this one site where you could like literally type in the search. And I think a lot of them do it now um, where you can literally type in like, quality control manager or EM385, which is these keywords that the government uses for their people. And I found, I found like a list of people and I just started calling them. And like, I remember getting a guy that was in, he was already working for another company in North Carolina. And I don't know how I got him to, to come and join me and my company and my, this project, but he ended up coming over. And then I got another guy that was in uh, Kingsville, uh, Georgia, uh, Kings Bay, Georgia. And I got him, he had just transitioned off of another contract and was was looking for some work. So he, I got him over here. It was that pressure. It was this that time frame that like I needed someone. And it was like my sole focus was finding that superintendent quality control manager. And I, I made so many mistakes in that process. What I mean by mistakes is like I, I you know, I was just like, I just need you guys here. And, and, and they, they, they showed up. I had an offer letter signed. I had all those things signed. But I, I didn't really bring them on the way we bring people on now. We bring people on now, like, are they a cultural fit? Are they, will they be an operational fit? And then it's like, are they a finance, like how are they going to impact the business financially? And we're looking at all of those three things. Uh, where before it was just like, I, there's a need, I got to get them in here and like, uh, let's roll. And luckily that project w was successful and those people executed on everything they said they were going to execute on. And, and honestly, one of those people really helped groom me in, in, in building uh, like safety plans and QC plans and all these these plans that are required for government projects, which then helped us get 
tens of millions of other projects. Oh, oh, oh.